Thanks for joining us for Welcome New Life's Sermon of the Week, where it's all good news. To stay up to date on all of our weekly services and events, please visit us at wnla.church. Please enjoy this week's sermon. We hope it encourages you. Good morning. How you doing? Is it too early? No. No, okay. Just check in. Um, am I okay? Do I need to move my mic or am I okay? Okay. Well, hey everybody. Um, I'm excited to be up here this morning. It's good to be here. And um, this is, um, I follow you on, this is my wife down here. If you just wave, everybody. I'm going to ask. And, and I just want to say this. We're having a baby. <laughs> we're about 14 weeks along, and so we're really excited um, about that. And we have no idea. We saw the ultrasound, was it last Tuesday? Last Tuesday. And I'm looking at this little guy squirming around on the screen, and I'm like, oh, this is real. Like, we're actually having a kid. So, like, I'm like a slow mover. Like, you know, it's slowly coming to me. So when we actually have our baby, I'll be like, oh, I'm a dad now. Okay, I get it. Um, But, hey, if you, uh, this morning, um, as Pastor Andy said, we're going through a series called Unsung Heroes. And uh, so we're talking about people in the Bible that you wouldn't normally think about. Um, What was that one guy's name? Euciphorus? No. Did I get it right? Unisiphorus. Okay. Can everyone say that with me? Unisiphorus. All right. We might name our child Unisiphorus. It's possible. It's possible. Um, My wife is nodding yes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. um, Pua? That's fine. Unisiphorus Pua. Schwader. Unisiphorus Pua Schwader. It can work. Um, So if you got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 9, and we'll actually have it up on the screen too. We are studying a guy. um, Is there a slide before that or no? There isn't? That's okay. There we go. We're studying Ananias. So um, Ananias, there's two Ananiases in the New Testament. We're studying the one this morning that did not lie, but the one that actually obeyed God. So we're not studying the guy that got struck dead. So if you want to know more about that, that's in like chapter four. We're not studying that guy today. Um, But if you can pray with me this morning and then we'll jump in. So um, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through your word. Thank you, God, that your word is alive and well and you want to pierce my heart today. So God, I just pray over my heart and I pray over everybody here. God, would you speak to us? each one of us, right where we're at, what we need to hear today. And if you mean it, say amen. 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 So we are in Acts chapter 9, and I wanted to give you a little bit of, a little bit of context before we get into it. Our our story picks up, um, and you can go actually before that, before we get to this, just stay on the Ananias slide. Our, Our story picks up, Jesus has died, been resurrected, he says to his disciples, hey, go back into Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. And then he goes to heaven. The disciples go into this room, and there's about 120 of them in the stream, and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Spirit of God comes, falls on this 120, and in their midst, crazy things start happening. Peter goes out, 3,000 people accept Jesus in one moment, in one day. Can you tell you that Peter wasn't that good of a preacher? Like, like, he wasn't that good. Like, that was a supernatural thing that 3,000 people Amen. left Judaism. Everything they've been taught their entire life, they left that and said, I'm going to follow Jesus, a guy that was crucified last week. You know what I mean? Like, this is, that's supernatural. And as they started preaching, people started to come to know Jesus. And, and their message was confirmed with miracles. People were physically healed. Um, so much so that they're in Jerusalem and Peter would be walking through town and people knew where Peter walked. Like they had it like, hey, that Peter guy that preaches about Jesus, yeah, I, I, in an hour he's going to walk by here. So they would tell all their friends and everyone would take, everybody who was sick and they would put cots out on the side of the road. They would put their loved ones down on the side of the road just in hopes that Peter's shadow might touch them, that they might be healed. 
When was the last time you were in a service that you, you just hoped that the speaker's shadow would touch you? <laughs> I've never been in that church service. Like, amazing. And this is, this is how charged the atmosphere in Jerusalem was with faith. That people that didn't know anything about this were like, this is this God, this Jesus is like, there's something supernatural here. And people were just getting healed all over the place to the point that it would said that they would go pray for people. Everyone was healed. Everyone was delivered. Everything changed. And people started accepting Jesus to the point that they met often daily in a place called Solomon's Portico. Solomon's portico, if you think of it, it was almost as wide, maybe as about this church, with a bunch of columns all the way through it, like a covered walkway that just went a huge length down the side of the temple. And daily, the disciples would go there, and they would teach everybody, and that space could fit about 6,900 people. So 6,900 people, at least probably three to 5,000 people, are gathering daily to go hear these guys talk and see the miracles. I mean, that would be the equivalent of revival breaks out in Whatcom County, and daily, everybody's going to the Ferndale Event Center. And they're like, there's these people there, and, and there's this guy, Pastor Andy, he keeps preaching, and everybody gets healed every time. You know, like, that's what it's like. Yeah. And it was just, it was like this, this thing. And can you imagine the disciples, they're like, they're probably talking to themselves, and they're like, we don't really know where this is all going, but we're just going to obey Jesus. And like, hey, that guy got healed last week and this is happening here. We're just going to keep going. Their big plan was just doing what Jesus said. Their big plan was, Jesus, we have a yes in our heart to what you're doing. So while all of this is happening, there's thousands of people meeting daily. The high priest gets jealous. You guys ever been around someone that gets jealous? It's destructive. And this guy said, we need to stop this right now. So what he did is he took all of the disciples and he arrested them, put them in the public jail. They're all arrested. He's like, that'll end it right here. <clears throat> that night, an angel comes and gets them all out of jail. So much for the plan. The angel says to them, I want you to go right back into the temple. So those 12 disciples, those disciples, all of them, right at sunrise, go right back into the temple. So the high priest is like, hey, get the guys out of jail. And they're like, actually, they're in the temple preaching. And so this keeps going. And, and not only that, but now the, the momentum even goes farther. And they were like, we need to kill these guys. And this guy stands up named Gamelia. And they were like, we need to kill these guys. And Gamelia's like, hold on one second. If you do this, you might be fighting against God. So be careful what you're doing. Don't do this. So they back off. They tell them, don't preach in Jesus' name. Stop it. Knock it off. And the disciples are like, we can't help it. We're going to preach in Jesus' name. <clears throat> but because of Gamelia, they didn't kill him. So anyway, in the next couple years that go on, the church explodes. They start taking care of the poor and the widow and the sick in the city. The, the city is getting transformed. And all these people, and even at this point, a lot of the priests now are becoming Christians. Like, the ones that said, Jesus, we should crucify him, are now saying, we, we like, accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is how much things are changing in Jerusalem. And then a guy comes along named Saul. Saul comes into the town and he was one of the students of Gamelia, and he's like, we're going to put a stop to this. So he gets a bunch of conspirators together, and they see this one guy named Stephen. And Stephen is like the poster child for like, like <clears throat> what a man of God. I mean, he's like, he's leading the charge in taking care of widows. As he goes out, he's like praying for people. And it says, it says that signs and wonders followed this guy everywhere he went. So he'd be like praying with grandma so-and-so and grandma would get healed. And then he'd go and deliver food to this person and there would be a miraculous thing over there. And he's preaching. And Saul's like, he was so convinced too of his intellect. Him and the people with him would go and they would argue against Stephen. But guess what? They couldn't stand up to any of Stephen's arguments. Everything fell flat. So they decided we need a new plan. So they got some people together to bring false charges against Stephen to say that he preached against Moses, that he was coming up with false doctrine, all this stuff. 
They have a trial for him. They take him into court. And in the long, long run, they end up rigging the court. And Saul is holding the coats of the people that end up stoning this godly man to death. Isn't that nuts? Can you imagine where someone's heart has to be that you're looking at a guy who, who um, feeds the widow and the poor, that people are getting healed when this guy's around, and you're like, I'm going to kill that guy. But see, Saul's whole heart was so oriented on the purity of his doctrine that he lost sight of the God of the Bible that he was attempting to follow. He had so memorized scripture and he was all about the purity of Judaism and we're going we're gonna to go for it. We're going to, man, I'm going to, I am so following God and he was so zealous for the traditions of his father that he's willing to kill for it. And he thought he was doing the right thing. How many of you know that religion without God is death? If you try to follow God, you might get it all right. You might follow all the rules. But can I tell you, when you live a life based on your effort and your ability, you'll just cause death around you, control around you. Religion kills. It brings destruction. It brings fear. It brings a shutdown to your life. It sounds a lot like what Satan wants to do, to kill, steal, and destroy. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he frees us of our effort And it's now a whole different conversation. It's not about following the rules. It's about listening to his voice. It's about walking with him daily. And so Saul is here, and they killed Stephen. And it says that in that same day, in that exact same day that they killed Stephen, a great persecution breaks out against the church. And Saul and his followers start going house to house in Jerusalem. And they break down the doors of, we know Christians are here. We know Christians are there. They break down the doors. They beat people. And the Christians of Jerusalem run. So you got about 5,000, 6,000 people that are now displaced. And they are kicked out of their home. Everything they knew. They barely know who Jesus is. They've just got a few sermons under their belt from, from these guys in the temple. And now they are running. They're getting scattered out to Damascus over to Iraq, down to Ethiopia, over to Rome. They are going everywhere. And everything they know is totally shaken up because this guy, Saul, is going to make things right again. He's going to purify things again. He's going to make it right. And he realizes something. This whole spreading them everywhere, this didn't stop anything. All it did is spread the very problem I was trying to get rid of. And can I tell you that when you come against God, all you end up doing is helping God out. When the enemy comes against you and you are doing what God has called you to do, you know all that happens is God's work is advanced. Can I tell you, let me just answer this. If you have a dream in your heart that God has placed there and you are pursuing what God wants you to do and opposition is coming to you, you can say, wow, God, thank you because I know that this is going to help not hinder what you want to do. It might look like things are getting shut down, but can I encourage you this morning that if God is for us, who can be against us? If you are doing what God has called you to do, you can be sure that God is going to come through. Can I tell you though, it might look a little different than what we thought it was going to look like. I mean, I'm sure they didn't think. You got this nice Jewish family living in Jerusalem, having their Shabbat meal, loving life, and suddenly, oh, I guess we're going to go move to India now. I never signed up to be a missionary, but apparently I'm on the way. Could it be that the opposition and the struggle that you are facing could be the very catalyst for what God wants to do to bring you into what you're called to do? Could it be that maybe we would never choose the good thing that God has for us unless opposition came? What opposition are you facing? Could it be that God is using it today to bring you into what he has for you? Because he said this, I am going to, he said this, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion. 
That means he will finish the work in you and me. So there's Saul, and he goes now, and you can go to the first slide. Says this, but Saul, still breathing out, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest in Jerusalem and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, because he was convinced we got to stop this. And so he gets these letters of reference. He gets these letters. And he goes on his way. And you can go to the next slide. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Everybody say suddenly. God is the God of the suddenlies. You might be like, where'd God go? What is God doing? Can I tell you that God comes suddenly? Amen. You know, a part, one of the scriptures and the, the themes in scripture that's always bothered me is all throughout scripture in the New Testament, there's things like this. Behold, I'm coming soon. God is coming back soon. It's all throughout scripture. And I'm like, God, as I fall, God, 2,000 years does not seem soon. I mean, it's been a little while. But did you know that another way that you can translate the word soon is actually suddenly? Amen. Behold, suddenly I'm coming. At an hour that you don't expect. At a time that you're not going to be... Could, you, could it be that there is a suddenly that's going to break in and it's going to feel like, man, God, where are you? God, where are you? And he comes back. See, he hasn't come back yet, not because he doesn't want to, but because he wills that no one perishes. He, he hasn't come back yet because he's looking at your sister and your brother and your mom and your dad, and he's saying, I want them to come home too. He hasn't come back yet because it hasn't been preached in every nation and in every tribe about who Jesus is. And so God has restrained the time. Because he wills that none should perish. But I can tell you, he's coming back suddenly. Yeah. He's coming back suddenly. Amen. He falls on the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Go to the next slide. And he said, who are you, Lord? How many of you know that there's a lot of people in Whatcom County that if they had an encounter like this, they might just say, who are you? I, I don't know who you are. Folks, can we also make a, a point today? And I just, I just feel this for my own heart today. Sometimes we can assume that people know the truth. That they know who Jesus is. Could it be that they would just say, I don't know who Jesus is. I've never experienced his voice. I don't, I don't know. And here's a guy who had the Old Testament memorized memorized and he's saying as he's having a vision of jesus okay who are you i i don't know who you are bible knowledge isn't isn't enough it's got to be heart knowledge it, it has to be an encounter with god where we meet him for ourselves and there are people all around us that have not encountered the living god <clears throat> in first john it says that <clears throat> John says to the people in that letter, he says, the one, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we heard, he talked to us, which we saw with our eyes as they were with him, which we looked on and we touched with our hands, the nail scars in his hand, the, the, side, the cut in his side, concerning that word of life, Jesus, we have seen him. And we testify and we proclaim him. Your fellowship is with us, and our fellowship is with him. Did you know that when you go and you make friends with people, that with your fellowship with the Father, that they get then an interaction with God? That no matter how qualified or unqualified you feel in sharing Jesus, that you are a conduit of Jesus to everyone around you, regardless of how spiritual you feel on Monday. Amen. 
That if you've said, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, that means he is talking through you. He is working through you because he loves them so much. If your fellowship is with the Father, that means that your fellowship with your friend, they have a, a connection with the Father because you're there. And he's speaking through you. He said this, I, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus says to Saul, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. One of my favorite testimony stories is of a guy named Glenn Bartow. He's a pastor down in Modesto, California. And Glenn, he was a young adult. I think he was like early 20s. Didn't know Jesus, but he was curious. And so he went to this church service. He goes to this church service, and he's just hanging out. And the speaker shows up, and the speaker somehow sees him, and they're having this time of prayer and ministry and, like, praying for the sick. And he sees Glenn just standing off to the side, just kind of standing there. And the speaker goes up to him and says, hey, hey, you, come here. So he goes over to the speaker and says, hey, I need you to help me. Um, there's just too many people to pray for. Can you start praying for people that are sick? And the guy's like, Glenn's like, okay. Like, he's not a Christian, okay? He doesn't know Jesus. He's, he's this, he's not, he hasn't signed up for this. But, but before he knows it, he's standing at the front with a bunch of other people. He's on the prayer team. He's on the prayer team at the front, and... And, he's, and people are coming up to him and saying like, hey, could you just pray for me? Like, you know, I'm, I'm walking through this really hard time with my parents and, and this or like whatever. And so he starts praying for me. And I don't know what your, this does to your theology, but it messes up mine. And he starts praying for me. And, and the guy said, look, just, just lay hands on people, pray for them in Jesus' name. And, and God's going to touch them. So he's like, okay. So he goes up and he stands there. And this lady comes up and he starts praying for her. And he's just like, well, Jesus, you know, like touch her. Amen. And she falls down. He's like, I don't really know what to do with that, you know. What, is she like fainting or something? Like, are you okay? Anyway, this happens the whole night. And this reminds me a little bit about Jesus called the disciples. Here's these fishermen, they're just doing their thing. Here's a tax collector, here's whatever. They don't know anything. This rabbi walks up and says, hey, follow me. They're like, okay. They followed Jesus, and that empowered them to do what they were supposed to do. Saul, all he knew was this guy, Jesus, says, go into the city and I'll tell you what to do. There are people all around us that God is talking to right now that are not here on Sunday morning, and God is saying to them, I'll tell you what to do. Amen. I talked to a guy on the phone a couple weeks ago. <laughs> he says this, we've been friends for a long time. He says this to me. He's like, yeah, Jeremy, I just feel like there's this like being that won't leave me alone. And I'm like, oh, really? And, and I just know that it's, and he, he says this with a tear in his, in his eye, like I can tell over the phone. And he says, yeah, like, I just don't think I should be alive right now. Like, there's been so many times that like I should have died and I didn't. And it's like this being just keeps protecting me. Huh. What is, he, uh, what is he saying to you? Well, he keeps telling me that I already told you what you need to do. Huh. So what's that? And as we kept talking, I, I realized what God was doing was he was basically saying, come on back. Yeah. Trust me with your life. Amen. You guys, we don't need to be the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be the Holy Spirit to your friends and your family. He's already talking to them. Really, honestly, he's already talking to them. He's talking to you. Isn't he going to talk to them? And so the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. And you know what? He's drawing my friend back to him. And as he trusts God, things will change in his life. I'm not saying that we don't ever share. But what I am saying is be encouraged this morning. Yeah. God's talking to them. God's working in their heart. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. All you know, you're with Saul, and on the road, all of a sudden, Saul falls off his donkey. Yeah. They hear a voice saying, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? You don't see anything. You're just standing there. Next thing you know, and he's like, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Can I tell you that people will be transformed? It might not even be their encounter. It's for somebody else. But because they're in the room, they get to get touched too. (laughs) You might be like, why does Joe always get these awesome encounters with God? And I'm like left in the corner. Who cares? Just hitch on to what God's doing in Joe's heart. And be like, that's my encounter too. I'm going to run after Jesus too. How many of you know probably some of these guys accepted Jesus? You know? Let's go to the next slide. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. God blinded him. But I thought God only did good things. Yeah, he does. How many of you know that sometimes we can experience something negative, but God's like, this is actually good. He opened his eyes, but he saw nothing. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, they were, they were talking about like, hey, will we be saved and what will happen to us? And, G- and Jesus said to the Pharisees, your guilt remains because you claim to see, even though you don't see. In this moment, God showed Saul the true condition of his heart. He thought he could see and now God took away his eyesight and said, you can't even see. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. He didn't eat and he didn't drink. For three days, all he knows is that a guy who is a Lord told him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He falls to the ground and now he's in Damascus. can't see a thing. It's the darkest time of his life. And all he has is he's met with silence. You ever been to that dark place where all you have is silence? You have the big problem, you have the struggle, you have things that didn't work out, and you have silence. God, what about this? God, where are you here? And in all of this space, God often is silence. What do you do when God is silent? when it seems like God is not talking and he's not working. I know this. Psalms 131 says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time and forevermore. Amen. Like a weaned child, I've silenced my soul. What, what is that like? A weaned child is no longer looking to mom just because she needs something or he needs something, but is with mom because I like being with mom. God wants to wean each one of us off of the place of, oh God, help me right now. Amen. There's, there's, you ever been in that place, and I think the answer is yes, where you have a tension, a struggle, a discomfort, a rock in your shoe, something that's not going away, that's aggravating, and you say, God, help me out. Silence. Could you... Realize, I think I want to realize for my own heart, I'm just going to preach to Jeremy for a little bit, okay, if that's okay. God wants Jeremy to know that sometimes he won't take away the pain because he wants me to realize that I'm already, he's already answered that struggle. He's just not taking away the emotion of that struggle. Can I trust him when it doesn't feel right? Is he still true when it doesn't look right? Will he take care of it? Will he answer my cry? Is he going to hold, hold his promise even though he's silent and it doesn't look right? God gave Abraham when he was a younger man, he said, you're going to have a son. Look up at the stars, Abraham. Your descendant's going to be as more than the stars of the universe. He's 40. He's 50. He's 60. He's 70. He's 80. He's 90. No answer. Silence. God? Where are you? And God turns to Abraham and he says, am I true? And I think if, if we're honest, we're like, I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm, the right answer is yes. 
But there is this tension in the middle of the not yet where God is saying, am I true? And, God, and we're like, well, God, show me. And then I know you're true. And he says, no, I want you to know my character before it happens. Amen. It says um, in Romans, it says that, that Abraham, that he grew, it says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. You see, in the silence, in the not yet, it's an opportunity for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to worship him. And guess what? When you worship, when you haven't got the answer, your faith grows. Your trust grows. Something shifts in you, and it makes Jeremy ready for the promise. See, God's not, not, God, it's not like God's not working. He's looking at me. He's looking at you. And I'm like, I want to make your heart larger to receive the promise, to receive what I have for you. And so in the silence, can we give glory to God? In the not yet, can we give glory to God? He's silent. And for three days he was without sight, neither eating or drinking. And here's another point I want to make real quick. We can look at a loved one who's going through a hard time, especially if they don't know Jesus, and we want to fix it. We want to to meet them in the place and be like, man, they've hit rock bottom. Like, something needs to change. And honestly, folks, sometimes God's like, no, 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 let them sit. Let them sit in silence. Not that God wants to punish anybody, but God wants to have our hearts turned to look at him. And until we get to the point where we're sick of being self-reliant, it's kind of, we're not in a posture that God can touch us because we are convinced that we have the answer. You can go to the next slide. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. How how many of you would love to have a vision today where God says your name? (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? You're like sitting there and all of a sudden God's like, says your name. And I did a little study this week on on this thing. Because here it says, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. This happens six times in scripture where somebody... God says their name, and they say, here I am. And uh, the first one was actually Abraham. God says, Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. God says to him, I want to give you a son. Then there's Jacob, and it says, God's like, Jacob. Jacob says, here I am. And God says, I want you to move. You're going to go to your Uncle Laban's place. And then again, I want you to go down to Egypt. He brought a life change. Another time, it's, uh, it's Moses. And Moses turns aside. He sees this big burning bush. And the Lord says to his name, him, Moses. And he says, here I am, Lord. He takes off his shoes. God gave him a commission for his life. He gave him his purpose, his destiny. And then there was Samuel, who was sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. And he said, God says, Samuel. And, and uh, Samuel says, here I am, Lord. And he's like, Samuel, I'm going to make you a prophet to the people of Israel. And then you have Isaiah. And Isaiah is hearing God speak, saying, who will go as a messenger? And Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. When God speaks your name, and he does it to all of us in different ways, He always comes with a blessing and he always comes with a commissioning. He comes to speak to you about either a life direction or he comes to speak to you to impart a blessing. But how many of you know we want God to speak our name? Can we just just put our hands up like this real quick? I just want to do this because it's fun. God, we just, we want to hear you speak our name. God, I just know that there's, there's a blessings that you want to give us. There's commissionings and plans that you want to give us. And I just pray, Lord, let each one of us
hear you say our name. Amen? Amen. So he says, Ananias, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarshish named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Next slide. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, kind of got a problem with this. I've heard from many about this man, how much he, evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. God, this seems like a really bad idea. Like, I know you know everything, God, but let me just fill you in here. This guy has killed people. This guy has imprisoned a lot of people. God, I don't know if you're aware of my situation and what I'm going through. And your advice, God, I just want to tell you, it seems kind of faulty. Anybody been there? But God says what to him? Go. I, um... Anyone ever had that experience where you felt like God said something to you and you didn't want to do it? Cool, like four of us, awesome. My hunch is everybody in this room has had a moment in their life where you felt like God's like, I want you to go this way. And we're like, I don't know. You know, how about next week? God, I'm not so sure. And, And I know what that voice sounds like because it probably sounds like a burning in your heart and an idea in your mind that you're like, I would not come up with that. And, and God wants to speak to our hearts. Ananias right here is, is scared. And he's saying, God, this is kind of a bad idea. And I was just thinking as we were worshiping, I was, we were singing that song, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me in this place? Ever been there? God, I can't do this. Unless you come. And God's like, exactly. See, the promise to Ananias in this, it wasn't like God shoving him out the door, taking him to the high dive and saying, jump, you'll be fine. God is standing right next to him. When God takes you and I to the high dive, he's like, I'm going with you. In fact, I'm going to be in you to help you in this process. Is there a place of fear that God wants you to step into? Satan would love for you to hear, you're alone. You can't do it. You're not enough. And Jesus wants to take your face by the, in his hands and say, I am with you and I'm in you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I got you. We got this. You and Jesus is a majority, period. God won't let you go somewhere, won't call you to go somewhere that his grace won't empower. The the interesting thing, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but God often talks to us just like he did to Ananias. He's like, Ananias says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Go to the next slide. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's saying facts. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he is to suffer for the sake of my name. You notice how God didn't really answer his concern? Like there isn't like, hey, um, Ananias, you're going to be okay. I, I just, you know, no. You know why? Because God's like, that's assumed. I want you to know, Ananias, that I'm trustworthy. And by the way, Ananias, I've already shown you that I'm trustworthy. He is the God that is with us. And in this moment, he's basically saying to Ananias, will you take a step? Will you take a step into the unknown with me? And I've learned this, and I heard a guy say this to me a little bit ago. He says, whenever you hear God speak to you, He'll give you the first step. When you take the first step, he'll give you step number two. When you take number two, he'll take, you'll give you step number three. 
He is a God often that leads us step by step by step. But when God gives us step one, and I say, well, God, what about this, 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 this? He says back to me, well, step one. And we're like, well, God, what about this? And what about this? And he says, step one. His obedience is step by step by step. Why? Because his relationship is step by step by step. Ananias was saying, God, will I be okay? And God says to Ananias, and he says to you and me, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your step by step. Life is found in allowing God to lead us step by step. You can go to the next slide. So Ananias departed. Can you imagine? You're like, you leave your house and you're going to the house of the guy that was sent to, to chain you and send you back to Jerusalem. You are on your way being like, this could work out really bad. And God did not promise to me today that I was going to be okay. He just told me to go. So as Ananias is walking to this house, I'm sure Jesus' words in Matthew were clearly in his head. Matthew 16. Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Ananias had already made the choice long before this ever happened that his life was not his own. If God says your name tomorrow, hey, Bucky, move to India. Is there already a yes in your heart today to meet the call that's going to come tomorrow? Is there anything in your life today that if God said, I want you to shift here, that you would say, I don't know. Could it be that God wants our yes today so that when he says your name tomorrow, you're ready for the call? Ananias departs and he enters Saul's house. Scary moment. I'm sure a lot of the guys that were with him on the road, were there. And laying his hands on him, and why did he do that? Because he saw it in the vision. He was told that. Jesus told him to do that. He said, Brother Saul. Now that right there is amazing. This guy who was killing them, persecuting them, chaining them up, Ananias looked at him and he said, Brother Saul. When I look at the people around me, that come against the gospel. Could I look at Nancy Pelosi and say, God wants her to be a sister in Christ? Can I look at Hillary Clinton and say, God loves you, Hillary? Can I look at somebody who has different ideology, political, uh, political views, has had an abortion, who is a Muslim, who is outside, and can I see them through the lens of Christ? I'll never forget this story. A, gal, a lady I know was in a small group, her and her husband and another couple. Through the course of that small group, both of the marriages got destroyed because her husband and the wife of the other person ended up having an affair. Both of the marriages destroyed. Several months later, she's walking through the pain and the struggle of this experience. She is in Linden, and she's at the Safeway in Linden, She's driving, and all of a sudden, she catches out of the corner as she sees this lady driving, who her husband is now with. And she catches a picture, get this, of Jesus sitting next to this lady in the passenger seat. You know what her first reaction is? She's ticked. Jesus, how could you be over there? Do you know what she's done to me? And Jesus' response to her, but do you know how much I've paid the price for her? He took all sin. He, the judge, took all penalty. 
He, the one who overcame death in the grave, did it for all. And he looks at each person and he says, I want to call them home. Can I look at the person that has done me wrong and see them through the lens of Jesus? You might be looking, though, in your space in your life and saying, but God, I have not gotten justice for that space. I have not received the due request. Can I tell you that God's justice is way better than yours or mine? That every sin will be atoned for. One thing I've seen, though, in the justice and the judgments of God, sometimes they're a lot quieter than we'd like. Because God will take a person who has done wrong and he will humble and he will correct and he will, in his way, take that person and there will be a justice. Sometimes later, sometimes sooner, but always right on time. And I can tell you that his justice is a lot more thorough. A lot more thorough. I'll never forget, I was sitting down with Steve Mason, and some of you might know this, this guy's story, but Pastor Steve Mason ended up having an affair with a lady when he was pastoring at CTK. Marriage falls apart, he loses his ministry, a bunch of stuff happens. He ends up later coming back, repenting in front of the whole crowd, by the way, with the lady that he did, had the affair with. He repented in front of everybody. This is several years later. And I asked him, because I was joining his staff, and I was like, you know, this is kind of, I, I was just learning his story. And I'm like, you know, can you tell me a little bit about this and, 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 and what's going on? And, and he says, Jeremy, I just want you to know that the, that the uh, judgment, or the, the things that I went through, that God has brought me through a process of judgment. And he's, he's like, I, I, I have walked this out. Like, he didn't get off scot-free. And how many of you know sin has its costs? It really does. And God in his mercy wants to draw everyone back. Including the woman that has the affair. The man that kills this person. In all of it, God's love is extended. And can I, can you, look through the eyes of Jesus and allow God's redemption and say, you will bring me justice. So I'm going to let go of my justice. And you will, bring, you will have your way because he wills that none should perish, including the one that has hurt me. But can I say this to you? Everyone that's been hurt today, God is a God of justice Amen. and of God of mercy, and he's not schizophrenic. It's a perfect, perfect... God, let me say this. God's wrath, his judgment, is not at odds with his love. It all fits together. He's not schizophrenic. And in all of it, he will bring justice and healing. And that is all answered in the cross. So he enters and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias was wishing Saul well, even though I'm sure he knew people that had been locked up by this guy. Ananias goes, his life is laid down. He calls Saul brother. He sees him with the eyes of faith. And he does exactly what God tells him to do. God said to him, I want you to go here, lay hands on the guy, pray that he receives his sight. And he gets baptized in the spirit. Okay. He does exactly what God has told him to do. Your friends and loved ones that don't know Christ don't need your eloquent words. They don't need your really good effort. They don't need your cash. They don't need anything from you. What they need from you is your obedience to the voice of God. They need you to say exactly what God is saying, to do exactly what God has called you to do. And can I tell you, when we do that, life change will be the result. So anyway, Ananias... There's three things that I realized about, the boy, about Ananias is that number one, he made space in his life for the voice of God. We all can do that. Two, when God spoke to him, he already had a yes in his heart to say, yes, God, your servant's listening. And three, 
He did exactly what God asked him to do. Not more, not less. D.L. Moody was saved, got saved by his Sunday school teacher. Multiple incredible, all sorts of people that had incredible movements and thank God things that happened in their life. They, were, they got saved and transformed by people that were faithful in places that they weren't seen. Your Ananias' testimony is that when he was obedient to God, the man that he prayed for wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And yet we don't say Ananias' name. We don't think about Ananias. You think about Saul. You think about all these people. And it's Ananias, the faithful man who had a yes in his heart that flipped the world upside down because he went when he was scared. He went when he didn't know what to do. And he just said, I, my life is laid down. I'm just going to have a yes in my heart. And that's, I feel, the call that Ananias' life as an unsung hero brings. He had a simple yes in his heart. God, wherever you want to take me, I'm saying yes before you even call. So let's pray. And uh, uh, Stephanie, if you could just come on up. And um, I just kind of ask this question. Um, can we just on the count of three, I'll just say yes. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. What are you saying yes to? We're saying yes to whatever God says tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Maybe you're going to hear the audible voice of God tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow you're going to go to work and it's going to be a boring day. But as you get up in the morning, as we go throughout our day, will you say yes? Will you simply say, God, I am available. Here I am, Lord. Speak. Your servant is listening. Yes. So I just want to, on the, if, you, if that's your heart today, I'm going to invite you one more time to say yes. But before we do, if there, is there anything in your life that stops you from saying yes? And I have found in my life, one of the biggest things that stops me from saying yes is offense in my heart. Pain from the past. Spaces where I was like, ugh, it didn't work out. If everyone just close your eyes across this room. And if there is something in your heart that gives you pause in saying yes, but you don't want it there. Could you just lift a hand? All right, you can drop those hands. Can we just say this together? Holy Spirit, Spirit, I invite invite your your healing to my heart. I release all offense, all fear, all doubt, and I just say yes. So Jesus, we just come to you today, and we are asking simply that when you call, we want to be ready. When you say our name, we want to be standing, and we want to say, here I am, Lord, send me. So we just say right now, I just say, Lord, and then we'll just say on the count of three um, that we want to say yes. Let's just say it together one more time. One, two, three. Yes. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or if you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit our website at wnla.church.